killing the live music industry one skipped beer at a time. It's going off with Muse and special guest host, fully involved Mark. You know him, you love him. He's back again. Hey. I saw this on Twitter, and since this was something that we talked about once, briefly, months ago, alcohol-averse Gen Z evidently doing its best to ruin the live music industry. This is not where I thought this was going to go. Wait, what? These are the main takeaways that came from the study. Respondents in their teens and early 20s were drinking over 20% less per capita than millennials did at the same age. 64% of Gen Z respondents said they expected to drink alcohol less frequently when they grew older than today's older generations do. Gen Z respondents said they drank less because of health and hangover-related concerns, as well as because of worries about being judged by friends or parents. And 16 to 22-year-olds apparently just don't think drinking it is cool anymore. As the resident young person, as the... I'm born in 1996, but it's like I'm like, I'm like a generational double agent where I can take on one or the other, depending on what fits That's me that true. day. That's true. Um, but what I'll say is that I do 100% agree with that, but I'm also a weird little guy. So take now, it how see, you will. This is interesting because I didn't even think about this until just now that, yeah, there is almost 10 years between us. Do any of these in particular uh, resonate with you? Is it more or less the uh, the worry of being judged by others? The it just doesn't seem cool what what strikes a nerve with you? I think it, for me personally, I can't speak to any kind of broader sociological thing, but the concept of losing control of my own actions and making mm. my brain worse uh, scares the shit out of me. And so I don't do it, even at 26. That's pretty much exactly where I'm at. I do wonder if this is less a generational thing and more and maybe more a neurodivergent thing. We'll get to that later with the subject matter of the episode. It's relevant. Mm -hmm. There are obviously a lot of people in my age group uh, who do, you know, post in group chats who are friends who I do love, but do post in the group chat like, bro, I'm like five things deep and and like don't talk to me man i'm like so off my gore and i just kind of let my eyes glaze over and mute that uh for the night because it does nothing for me but it does things for other people and cool for them but i personally you know i've been getting into that minor threat lately and i don't claim straight edge like capital s capital e or anything but i listen to some of those songs and i'm like yeah real you just got a blast, you know, I, I've got straight edge, just scream along to it, paint the black X's on the back of your hands, and just be insufferable to other people around you. There might be a subject later where we're talking about what angle is this publication trying to get at, and I wonder specifically with the venues complaining about this, because drinks, you know, those freaking $15 cocktails and shit, uh, that's you know how they're gonna make a lot of their money these days so if the so if the audience members coming in are doing that less and less then they might be uh shaking in their uh boots a little bit i guess it's why i understand a surcharge especially when you have younger people who may not 
you know, a lot of people are vaping these days. Do people still vape? I don't I know. I don't know, man. I, I, I was there uh, for the, the ripping fat clouds memes in 2016, but Ooh. outside of that, I'm completely out of touch with that. Yeah, so I can't really relate to it. Um, I've never bought a drink for myself at a show. I, I've bought them for my partner plenty of time. Um, but aside from that, yeah, that's the only money they were going to get from me that night. So maybe one, two drinks uh, max, and I'm just over there just vibing. You know, but it don't make you a bad person. I'm going to go. I'm going to go nah. ahead and uh, preface it by saying that. Yeah, I don't judge anybody for doing any sort of uh, recreational um, thing to make either the fun times more fun or the bad times more tolerable. I don't know exactly how this is even tied in to the music video. I'm, re I'm looking over the article and it doesn't really seem like it's specifically relevant so i do think the headline probably is uh fairly clickbaity from the look of it hmm, hmm. it we says got um last week veteran canadian music journalist alan cross unearthed a couple of surveys from the university of michigan which suggest gen z has failed to embrace an enduring idea alcohol is fun I mean, if you really think about it, I mean, granted, it's not like there aren't songs about drinking, getting high and stuff in certain genres. But if you really break it down, like a lot of the glorification of that came from like the the rock star culture of mm. the 70s and 80s and stuff. And there isn't really that doesn't really exist in the last maybe 15, 20 years or so, maybe a little bit with like the kind of indie sleaze thing of the 2000s. But after that, like it's kind of cool to just hang out after the show, uh, have a, have a freaking maybe, maybe work out, get a vegan smoothie or something, uh, and mm. just be a normal dude. I feel like is the wave. Uh, and yeah. especially with, with how, you know, fans more than ever are like prioritizing artists being morally good people. And so I can see how maybe you'd be a little more resident, reticent to fall into those same excesses or impart that onto your fan base publicly at least anytime i've tried anything um alcoholic i just hate the fucking taste of it so even if i like even if i wanted to drink i don't think i could get past the taste of it so there's just plenty standing in my way there so yeah i, I think i i guess i'm just missing out i have tried alcohol twice and there is an equally pathetic story behind both but for entirely mm. different reasons. So on the day I turned 21, I was at my college's sort of off-campus dorm, and there was a 7-Eleven a couple blocks down, so I kind of did this like quick-cut vlog because it was 2017, um, <laughs> where I went to the 7-Eleven, you know, I shot a sh I took a quick shot of me grabbing just the cheapest thing I could find. I think it was a, it was a Pacifico for a buck 29 or something. Um, and I brought it back, and then I filmed myself taking one sip and the second that the first drop hit my tongue i immediately spat it into the sink it was mm -hmm. the most heinous shit N not not even once ever again and then and then a couple years later i was a doordash driver and there was this italian restaurant in garden grove that i would go to every few days uh to pick up orders and while i was waiting they were handing out free samples of sangria I guess like a home-brewed thing that they had there. Uh, 
and it was in, it was in like little like dip cups, you know, like the little cups you put condiments in. Um, so I just took a little bit, did not like the taste of that either, set it down. But then, but then the neuroticism set in, and then I went back to my car with the order, and I started freaking out like, oh no, three drops of this just hit my tongue. Can I drive now? And I'm on the job. And I'm on the job. Uh, and so I literally just like sat curbside near the restaurant and called my mom and was like, hey, I don't know what to do now. And then like 10 minutes later, uh, I-, I put the app on pause. And then like 10 minutes later, I was good and then completed it. But in that moment, I was a pathetic little sober boy. Uh, and that has not changed since. I'm a, firmly a Coke Zero and maybe a little hit of CBD uh, guy at the function. So I guess like gone are the days of millennials are ruining the dining industry or millennials are ruining the diamond industry. It's Gen Z is ruining the concert venue bar industry. That's the that's the journalism wave now, I guess. The millennials are ruining the blank industry thing was such a boomer thing. And now yeah. I feel like this backlash, I, I can't explain why it has such a Gen X vibe to me. Like, the edginess is gone. Like, oh, you're not so disaffected with life that you want to drink uh, the show away and not remember it? Pfft, lame. Like, that's the vibe mm-hmm. I get from articles like that. Man, I could... I did not even think about that. I can't imagine going to a show and not remembering anything about it. Like... Yeah, like, you pay for parking? You paid for, you paid for those drinks? And yeah. you don't even want to have the memories of it? Fuck out of here. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I hate, I hate alone when I forget to take as much video as I wish I had. Now it's like, oh, not, now not only did you not take any video because you forgot to, but you might also forget it because you fucking drank too much. Yeah, that sounds terrible. I'd hate that. And also, if you drank too much, your cinematography is probably going to be shit. Oh, God. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Just no yeah. return on investment here. Uh, five or six years ago here, I probably would have made a joke about filming in vertical instead of horizontal, but I think just everybody does that now. Of course, of course. Uh, famed uh, classic rock TikToker, uh, given that perspective here. Because back in the day, you wouldn't catch me anywhere filming vertical. I'd have to film with the widescreen. But now, where are you going to be posting it, if not TikTok? Like, you might be posting it on Twitter, but... Instagram reels and TikTok is going to be the main place to post it. And who the fuck wants to watch a goddamn widescreen video on those platforms when it takes up like a fourth or a fifth of the screen at that point? Yeah. And like maybe I'll crop it to like something closer to a square for Twitter. But aside from that, like I'm I'm not throwing this shit on YouTube. Hey, you know, enough about that shit, though. You know what really grinds my gears? What is that, Muse? Tell me about what's really chafing... Uh, your algorithm today. Oh, man. That fucking bee in my bonnet AI. Mark, I can't stand that shit. Ooh, Ooh, artificial intelligence. Definitely a thing that's only existed since September of last year and not for decades before that in all forms of technology. I was so ready for you to say September 11th. I knew that's not where you were going. But I hear September... That's just where my mind goes. I mean, listen, new conspiracy theory just dropped. Jet fuel doesn't melt AI. 
Hopefully it will. Maybe it won't, brother. Let's see. The main reason we're talking about this, and we've talked about this briefly, and I, I figured it might go the way of NFTs, a topic that we talked about on Going Off maybe twice, and then it just went away, essentially. Like, there was one episode where it was like, Kings of Leon is releasing their new album as an NFT. And I thought it was such a novel idea. That's the first time I'd heard of it, yeah. Then NFTs just blew up from there, and then it was just something that we could largely ignore for the most part, and it didn't really come up in conversation much. But the reason we're talking about it today is because I'm so confused about this one very specific uh, story that is going around, and it's mainly uh, clickbaity, uh, anger fuel, discourse fuel, that the Beatles, the remaining Beatles, are using AI to complete a long-lost and apparently final Beatles song. I guess just no more demo recordings to go through. This is the last one. Okay, so we need to give a couple pieces of context because, you know, like I said in the kind of sarcastic lead up there, this is not like when the headline posts Beatles are releasing a new song with AI, they're not wrong, but the implications they're making with that are wrong and kind of hmm. gross because they know what kind of rage farming they're going to do with that in 2023. But here's the thing. So. Mid-90s, you remember the Beatles anthology, right? I do. I fucking watched it on TV. I remember we bought the two CD sets as soon as they fucking dropped. I was all about that shit. Beatles anthology was my whole personality in 1995. So yes, go ahead. And how did you feel about the new songs uh, Free as a Bird and Real Love? Did you have any kind of ethical quandary with that? No, I could take or leave them. They really don't rub me one way or another, but man, not a fan of them. Valid, but... So, there were three songs that they were working on at the time. Those two, and then another one called Now and Then. And they were working on it, but John's demo uh, just did not, just was not salvageable enough. George thought it wasn't going well, so he he kind of killed the operation then. Um, Mm. Now, flash forward to... Last year, they release, or last year slash 2021, Peter Jackson comes out with this technology that allows them to isolate tracks that were previously unisolatable um, in order to make both the audio and get back good and in order to do that remix of Revolver. Those were a form of artificial intelligence. Just mm-hmm. not generative intel AI. I'm not an AI expert or anything. I'm just going off of what I'm gathering here. But it's making sense to me so far. So yes, so far, it's not I the kind you're doing good. It's AI, but it's not the kind that makes new John vocals. It just takes a track with John vocals and isolates it in a way where they can actually put it into a mix that sounds good and that is exactly what they're doing here on what's looking to be the song now and then it's not exactly confirmed but george had some hand in it as i implied there and so 
basically what I'm saying is if you had no issue with Anthology, if you had no issue with the Revolver remix, if you had no issue with the audio mixing in Get Back, you should have no issue with this supposed new Beatles song. And frankly, I, I made a video about this, but I realized after the fact that the thing that maybe pisses me off the most about how this is being reported is that it's a new Beatles song. That should be news enough. Why do you need to tack on this AI rage bait about it where it's not needed? It's a fucking new Beatles song. Is that not enough? Especially with Get Back making Beatles relevant again, like, who at this point hasn't heard of them, you know? Like, even young people who don't necessarily like the music or are familiar with them in their discography, they've got to at least know of them from the memes, right? Of course, of course. You know, it's okay to leave a dog in a hot car, you know what I'm saying? The only thing that pisses me off is that it's not Carnival of Light. That's a good point. I did have when one friend. When are we going to get Carnival of Light? God damn it. I did have one friend. Uh, shout out Abigail DeVoe. She has a great channel talking about uh, albums from the late 60s. And she made a great point. I kind of convinced her that this was actually fine, but still made the very valid point that there's still one more quote unquote lost Beatles song that uh. has not been acknowledged here. And this Look. is being promoted as the last Beatles song, so that's concerning. But that should be the only thing that concerns a person about what's happening here. Otherwise, it's completely immoral, net neutral, no need to get all dystopian about how this new story hits you, is what I'm trying to put across here. It's finite, you know, to, you know, for lack of a better term. So it really does seem like we're closing the door on the back catalog after this. This is it. But is it ever really it? Like, who's to say? And who's yeah. to say the estates won't have something to say about it afterwards? Like, I'm pretty sure if John were alive, not to shit on Yoko, but I'm just going to go ahead and say, we probably wouldn't have got as much posthumous stuff if she wasn't at the helm of everything. Like, just trying to get as much stuff out as possible. So, who's to say the Paul McCartney estate or the Ringo Starr estate with Peace and Love wouldn't release some extra stuff even if this is the quote-unquote final, just to squeeze the last few drops out of the back catalog? Yeah, no more fan mail, but all the reissues in the world, please. If, if not even for Yoko, then at least for Sean, because we talked about the crypto shit. He was oh. disgustingly all in on that. His Twitter is a cesspool. Uh, I do not recommend scrolling yeah. through it anytime soon. He's just kind of a shithead on a few different fronts, isn't he? Just kind of an yeah. asshole. Yeah, we don't have to open that can of worms, but I thought it was worth just kind of peeking into for a second on that. What's Julian up to? He's just kind of chilling. I'm pretty sure he did do an NFT thing, actually. But he was more kind of casual about it. I'm sure it was just like some guy on his team was like, hey, Julian, you know, we, we. I assume everyone on his team is from Liverpool, apparently. We, we got this crypto, you know, um, might, might as well, you know, throw that on the blockchain, you know. A bunch of soot-covered Liverpudlians go coming around pushing their NFTs on old Julian. I don't know about that. Uh, you know, you know, you gotta um, uh, that might sound like a pump and dump. You know, I heard that's a little bit unethical. <laughs> oh, you know, no worries. You know, they will know what hit him. 
And that's as far as that bit can go. I think it would go a little something like, like this. this. <laughs> the main event, the reason we're all here, and I mean on this planet, is the new Sparks release, The Girl is Crying in Her Latte, yeah. It's the new Sparks release, an album that we would never have ca- talked about if it was just RSC and myself, because I don't think he knows who they are. And if he does, sorry. It's probably from the movie. Probably from the movie, if nothing else. You know, I got to thinking what my introduction to Sparks was, because when I saw that the movie was coming out, they weren't, like, at, like at the tip of my brain, so to speak. Like, I know I wasn't thinking of them actively at the time, I think I had to go back to the Franz Ferdinand collab. FFS. Yeah. And I had no idea who they were at the time. That was my gateway, yes. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I, so actually, funny thing. I, I think I mentioned to you offhand, like, while I was getting into uh, Kimono My House, which is probably their most acclaimed album from 74, mm-hmm. which, yes, this band has been around for over 50 years, and they're still warranting deep dive reviews like this we'll get into that i was listening to kimono my house and i was thinking you know what rc might like this more than half of the bowie albums you've talked about hmm like the songs have like concepts and they go into those concepts and just take them to the level that i feel like would would be pleasing i guess that is true i I could see that yeah i um i personally I listened a lot to the older Sparks albums to a point, um, but haven't listened to the last few. So this is my jumping back in point after not listening to maybe like the last four or so. I heard they're all good. Now, for anyone who's unaware, uh, Sparks, uh, anyone who's unaware, even through the Franz Ferdinand, even through the Edgar Wright and all that, basically, uh, two brothers, Ron and Russell Mayle, uh, they've kind of forced gumped their way through all of pop and rock <laughs> history, essentially. Yeah. Uh, they started as like a 70s glam band that, despite being from L.A., immediately took off in the U.K., with a couple hits like uh, this time bigger than third of both of us, um, then they pivoted to like disco backed by Giorgio Moroder on number mm-hmm. one song in heaven. Then they had like new wave hits in the early mid '80s. Like their biggest hit in the U.S. is a collab with Jane Wheedland from the Go Go's. And then they had like Eurodance <laughs> hits in the '90s. Uh, and they've just kind of been doing their own weird ass thing since. And Okay, I'll put it like this. Um, the Edgar Wright documentary that came out a couple years ago, The Sparks Brothers, uh, it has the most unique structure I've ever seen in a music documentary in that it's literally album by album. And they have 26 albums. <laughs> so they go album by album and all of the talking heads, not the band, but uh, talking heads probably yeah. likes this band, um, but the general term talking heads, all of the people in there uh, who are influenced by them can talk about deep cuts on every one of those albums and it's engaging through all of it. Name another band that has been around for over 50 years that you can do that with. You cannot. So this is my jumping back in point, so I didn't really have much of a reference besides um, the teasers. 
the uh, the girls crying in our latte teaser music videos and every all the clips on um, TikTok. But I did really enjoy this album. Uh, yes. Pretty consistently. I'm trying to look through here. There might have just been like one or two songs that didn't grab me as hard as the other ones. Uh, but besides that, yeah, very, uh, very conceptually interesting. I should probably also mention for the record, um, just in case there's any overlap here. Um, one of my most weirdly successful videos over the last few months was that, uh, a friend got me tick got me tickets to uh, the show that Sparks and They Might Be Giants are doing at the Hollywood Bowl next month. Um, That's right. And I made a video just talking, kind of using that show as a vehicle to rave about the Hollywood Bowl website's uh, ticketing system because it's how all ticketing websites should be done. Uh, hashtag mm. Breakup Ticketmaster. And so, like, if there's anyone here, just on the off chance, you pulled up a Sparks-related podcast. And you're in the overlap. Hi, I'm the same guy. Um, anyway, uh, w- with that, going back to the album. The very, like, almost industrial noise intro on uh, The Girl Is Crying In Her Latte that kind of, like, goes throughout the song is was probably, like, the biggest, like, oh, shit moment of just, like, what am I getting myself into? Kind of, like, because I didn't really know what style to expect on this album. And it's not consistent, like... There is a pretty wide range of styles on here that kept it really interesting. But besides that, I guess if there is a constant, it's that there's um, string sections and orchestration that kind of weaves its way through the album. Um, Even some of the more like straightforward songs just kind of get a little touch of orchestration here and there. This song was actually, you know, it's the opener, it's the title track, it was the lead single, and, like, it's it was kind of a chaotic song to make the first impression of the album, and that's kind of what I love about it, because, you know, it's got this grimy synth, like you're saying, that's running through it that honestly wouldn't feel out of place on, like, the money store, dare I say? Mmm. But... But it's also got this, like, ridiculously catchy, sing-songy delivery of a long sentence of a title, much like this time, but big enough for the both of us. Just, you know, with that kind of straight four-on-the-floor rhythm, and it just it just gets more infectious every time I hear it, personally. Especially with, like, the anxiety running through that song and through a lot of this <laughs> record. Um, you know, it's just kind of about going through what's supposed to be your normal day-to-day, but then something just breaks in you during that process. I can think of a a number of times over the past month that has literally happened to me, literally in Mm. coffee shops. Uh, So relatable points right right there. The relatable points will continue throughout this record. Um, But it does start... it, It continues like a theme that I see throughout this of like people just trying to enjoy themselves and culture at large but just the harsh realities of the world keep getting in the way i feel like yeah. that's like the motif running through a lot of this record and i i'm and i'm kind of here for it whenever it pops up personally uh veronica lake is a nice um change of pace here I mean, so the song is uh, named after this actress from uh, World War II times that I had no idea about. But the oh, song itself, okay. but the song itself is actually kind of a riveting kind of retelling of what happened with her. Basically, like it says in the song, she had this really unique hairstyle, and all of the guys were over at war, so all the women were running the factories. Um, but they were also getting this long, wavy hairstyle. 
that Veronica Lake inspired, but their hair kept getting caught in like the industrial plants and stuff. Oh. And so it got to the point where uh for, where the bosses tried to curve that, but eventually like I guess the Hollywood people just had to tell her to stop having her hair like that and get more boring <laughs> hair in order to mm. stop influencing women to get their hair caught in machines. It's just a real piece of like stupid history that that no one talks about, but it's just like, oh God, this, this checks way too much. Um, and, but it's also kind of tragic because like, it's, it's just like, it kind of led to her eventual irrelevance, uh, apparently, as as the story in the song goes. And she was only like popular for like a couple of years. But this weird hair gate, I don't know. It, I feel like it, it just does kind of continue the themes of this weird push pull of like getting cut off. Uh, nothing is as good as they say it is. Yeah. Is one of the most sparks sounding songs on the album, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Super fucking catchy. Yeah, I really dug this one. I, I think I actually might even, like... I liked the first two, but this is where it, like, really grabbed my attention. Oh, yeah. Like, like this is just, like, a, an insanely perfect power pop song that I genuinely could picture them just as easily writing on Kimono My House. Uh, yeah. Like, it's just, it's just totally timeless. Like, I was literally, after my first listen, I was literally picking up my guitar to try to bang out the chords to it because it's <laughs> just so ridiculously uh, infectious, I suppose. It, and, you know, no band that's been around for over 50 years should be able to write a banger on this level. Like, that feels illegal. You know, like, these guys are older than yeah. my dad. You're fucking cheating. Yeah. What, what I, I guess I guess this is what making an I guess this is what Franz Ferdinand does to a motherfucker. I don't know. This is one of the five out of five songs for me. One thing that I love about Sparks at every stage of their career, and I haven't gotten into all their albums, but the ones that I have gotten into, is that they take a they have this almost comedy musician like instinct, which is why if you see the documentary, there's a lot of comedians uh, that are fans of them. Hence, you know Edgar Wright directing it. You know you'll see you'll see like Weird Al, Scott Ackerman. But they have this almost novelty musician-like instinct of, like, establishing the concept, and then we're off to the races for the rest of it. And this song is just like, a baby has been born for 22 hours and is saying, hey, mom, can I go back, please? And then it's just establishing that in just as goofy and kind of darkly funny a way as possible. And it's not even, like, like nihilistic about it. It just... It just makes it easier to get on board with that message with how kind of kind of chipper it is about it. I think it's almost to their detriment for me. And this is going to sound. I don't know how this is going to sound, but as much as I enjoy Sparks now, as much as I enjoy their albums and there's no doubting their talent and longevity. I think the fact that their stuff is kind of it tends to lean more towards a kind of quirky funny that for me, that it doesn't usually stick with me as much. And I think, like, as many Sparks albums I've listened to and enjoyed, I don't tend to revisit that much. And I was thinking to myself about that today because I was thinking about the documentary and how it was, and how it was presented by saying, like, 
they're your favorite band's favorite band. And it's like, wow, okay. I believe that. But if that was the case, why did it take me so long to hear about them? And I wonder if it's just like, like people just don't think to talk about them much. I mean, I, I feel like that's almost the point where like maybe they had a ceiling as far as like, as, as far as like, you know, selling out everything worldwide for decades on end but it's more of an if you know you know there's a similar kind of thing okay this is going to be kind of a detour but there's a similar kind of thing so one artist that i've gotten heavy into the last couple of years is uh laura nero i'm not sure if you're familiar with her oh yeah yeah she's come up a couple times on the whole uh twitter tiktok deal yeah 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 so she is a uh, singer songwriter that was mainly doing things in like the late 60s early 70s done our stuff since but mainly in that time and mm. wrote a ton of hits wrote a ton of songs that became hits for like the fifth dimension uh Barbara Streisand, uh, Three Dog Night, uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. None of the songs were hits as her own version, even though she's an incredible performer in her own right. But if you, like, look into her, like, everyone from Elton John to Todd Rundgren to Steely Dan to Alice Cooper have all said, like, yes, this person totally opened up the world of how I think about songwriting. It's just that through other sort of outside causes, whether it be, like, maybe stage fright or just kind of a lack of marketability in some departments, maybe. She just didn't have that world-conquering period of her own. But it's like, if you know, you know. And it's like, if you trace back the lineage of those, you know, world-conquering artists, then then it becomes interesting. And I feel like Sparks has kind of a similar thing. Your They Might Be Giants and stuff, and like Jack Antonoff's yeah. and all that, will come onto this documentary and be like all pop music is just different variations of sparks. Uh, maybe they just haven't always, you know, and, and you know, they have had hits, you know, they had like a top 10 hit in the UK with this time banger for the both of us. Uh, when do I get sing my way? Uh, cool places. But like, they, they just been popular in little fits and spurts and haven't really played the game as far as like staying totally in the limelight for that entire half century run that can kind of kneecap like being in the total a list of pop music that's my theory anyway that makes more sense than the bullshit i said because i love they might be giant so that kind of kneecaps what i was even thinking about that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense of why i would say oh sparks are kind of quirk yeah well that's the whole that's they might be giant's whole fucking thing so that doesn't exactly make sense so yeah i'm just gonna go with what you said uh, because I, I do get sound logic, like a hypocrite. I and... do get the logic, though. Genuinely, I do. I do. I have thought that in the back of my mind a couple times. Um, I was trying to rationalize it, you know, because it's like it's no fault of their own. I was just trying to figure out what was wrong with me. No, no, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. And if we are going to get a little bit cooler on them, uh, I am. You know, this first leg of the record I think is excellent. Escalator, I feel like drags it down a little. I feel like there's maybe some wonky sequencing. Uh, I'm not sure if you feel the same way where it's like there's a cool Mellotron happening and it's like, mm. oh, I'm going up the escalator as you're going down the escalator. I'm getting a glance. Uh, but there's really it, it, it kind of drag, it, especially after a song as just like banging and just crisp and clean as nothing's good as they say it is. It, it does kind of drag the sequencing a little bit for me. I'm not sure if you're in the same boat there. It is a very simple song. I will agree. But for me personally, 
I am a sucker for early Moog stuff. And this just kind of scratched that itch that I was very here for, that super retro kind of sound to it that I was 100% here for. So I will agree that it is one of the more simple songs, but I had a lot of fun with it. So it was one of my higher uh, ranking songs personally. Um, I don't want to skip ahead, but I guess I might as well just for the sake of getting it all on the table. With you saying that, you know, the first stretch is pretty strong. The lowest ranked songs I had are in the back stretch. It doesn't have to be that way was kind of middle of the road for me. So was um, It's Sunny Today. Yeah, It's Sunny Today was one that I felt like didn't really fit as much. Like, it has the most orchestration. It sounds pretty. But I think that out of all the songs on here, it was the one I was getting the least of a point from. And I think yeah. that that's a big appeal of Sparks again is that like every song has a defined like point that it takes you through the end of. Uh, but it's sunny today. I wasn't really getting one from, and I felt like a love story right after that was just like I'm buying my girlfriend drugs, and it was had the, and it had this like buzzy offbeat groove going through it uh, enough that I could at least dig it a little. But I felt like I was waiting for it to get to the second act, and it never really did. Next song, When You Leave. This is a very I'm in this post and I don't like it type song. Like I was talking about relatability earlier uh, and like neuroticism and ner- and possibly neurodivergence and stuff because that's a big part of I feel like being, being a Sparks fan. Um, but this song is just kind of negative self-talk at a party personified. You know, I got a quote here. They'll be breaking out the good music when you leave. The stylistics, the spinners, the delphonics, and they'll keep on and they'll keep on keeping on making out when you leave they're talking behind your back when you leave how you couldn't take the hint and leave they invited you and regretted it he won't leave and like this kind of melodramatic kind of kind of shuffle waltz happening it, it, it almost sounds to me like the party's happening but this is how the inside of your head feels yeah as you're okay. watching it so, 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 like, I was getting, like, a real kind of emotional, like, oh, g- get out of my head right now, please. This is a personal attack on most times that I am at the function. Maybe that was a little case of denial in my brain then, rejecting <laughs> the lyrics, not letting it seep in specifically because it knows what kind of harm it would do to me. <laughs> That is valid. I can completely see that. And also, I think that the reason why it hit another very specific note for me is that uh, I I was going to save the self promo for the end, but a big difference between now and the last time that I was on the pod Mm. uh, is that I actually do have new music out. Um, I've announced my next record uh, under the fully involved name Cold Blood out July 14th, a new single public public occurrences uh, out now. Um, But there's a song on that record that I consciously made a Sparks slash sort of talking heads impression called mm. Wait No Don't Go and it has basically the exact same concept as this song. Oh, okay. Where I kind of embodied this character of like a guy at a party that is trying to be appeal that is trying to ch- be charming to people but just has absolutely no clue how to act socially. Um, and just winds up kind of dejected and going close to the door, but then walking back, 
but then go and close the door, but then walking back. So, like, the fact that a new Spark song, written a couple years after this song, touches on the exact same territory, it's kind of eerie for me. And I think that's why, like, this one hits so specifically for me, even compared to the other ones on the album. My favorite overall cut, I think, might be uh, Take Me For A Ride. Yes, that, 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 that one's fun. That one's fun. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go, Laura. Like, I love the I, I love lyrics and people who've listened to the show long enough know that I'm way more vibes than lyrics. So the feel, the, it's just like a super fun, catchy track. I don't know how you describe it besides ascending flow. Like, it's just it, it's like a shepherd's tone. You know what I mean? Shout out by Leda Franz Ferdinand uh, from FFS uh, for their song Always Ascending. This one's fun, goofy, cinematic, damn near Elfman-esque, built around evading the cops in a Chevy Power Glide in order to feel something. What's not to love? The Mona Lisa is packing, leaving late tonight. I don't know how we yes. skipped that one. But yeah, that that's a great one, too. That one just keeps the theme going. It kind of confirms the theme to me of just, like, these people who seem calm and I- infallible just going, fuck this shit, and, 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 and leaving. Uh, yeah. Just, like, this image of, you know, what's the most established thing in culture now? The Mona Lisa. She's gone now, just of her own devices, just going, like, fuck you, I'm out of here. Just because the world's too much. Move. Who can't relate to that? Yeah, and it's got this kind of claustrophobic mix to it. It's got these kind of synth loops and horns coming in at the end. Uh, At first, I wish it had a little bit more of a build, but I weirdly think it's what part of what makes the song work. And as long as we're talking about songs in the middle that we skipped, uh, We Go Dancing. I'm not sure if you want to talk about that one. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I completely missed that one. Um, Kim Jong-un is a DJ, and he's better than Skrillex or Diplo, but the song itself is laced with this, like, military marching footsteps that add such a creepy feel to the fucking song. And the line specifically, which I actually quoted, uh, Great Minds Think Alike on this, is, uh, Skrillex may be Diplo, they've got nothing on our dude, look at how the crowd is grooving, he is one bad dude, I'll forgive rhyming dude with dude, they can get away with it, um, we don't have a lot of moves, but our one move is tight, we don't need no YouTube, Kim Jong-un don't like our vibe, and uh, it's just another moment of, like, 70-year-old guys should not be able to get away with dropping names like this, but it's just so convincing and purposeful and, like, specifically dystopian about it. I like the whole vibe of we're dancing through injury to please Kim Jong-un. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fucking great one. But, you know, that's another kind of fun thing about this band is that it's just like, okay, we're making a a song about marching to Kim Jong-un like he's the world's most captivating DJ. What's the sound accompaniment to make to that? Boom, we did it. Yeah, they're they like the one, that they're, one. They're like the one band that made glam rock 50 years ago that can do that. Or any band, really. I wasn't crazy about that. Not that well-defined uh, because, I don't know, I feel like I love this album when it's very tight and crisp uh, and maybe even new wavy at points. And maybe I still had... Uh, Maybe I still had nothing as good as they say it is on the mind, but mm. I felt like the mix just got a little swallowed up 
on this one. And I don't know, like when it gets more cavernous like that, it can it, it can drag a little for me. It's still a great album, all things considered. But this was a moment where I did feel like it dragged a little. You you were meant for me was fun though. That one was fun though. Oh yeah, yeah. It has this like staticky, crunchy Sith riff. I don't know how else to describe it. And had a great little dance beat too, which I'm a sucker for anything with a fucking dance beat. So you got me. Absolutely, absolutely. And I do love how. Uh, you know, it's a pretty basic idea in that title, but then they just bring in these random ass real world details that like hit as odd at first, but then you're like, yeah, it's like, uh, then your sweater grabbed my shopping cart and you declared it must be due to fate. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, sure. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why not? The only ones we haven't really talked about are, uh, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, and gee, that was fun, which I personally dug just as like kind of an earnest payoff to the commentary they're making throughout the album of just like, you know, live in the moment, love the people around you. Uh, or uh, I quoted, a, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, I'll look uncool. I'll look the fool. I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. They always say it must reflect your life and incorporate your strife. Maybe mentioning your wife. It doesn't have to be that way. Okay. And they're really good at doing this when they're closing their albums, like no matter how kind of off the wall they get, because like, okay, maybe my most contentious Sparks opinion is that I am not crazy about angst in my pants. Um, I think that the oh. reputations of that and the follow up in outer space should be flipped. Uh, but mm. uh, because I find I feel like angst in my pants just gets a little lol XD random, you know, like, ooh, here's a song about Mickey Mouse. Okay. Um, but, uh, it ends in a phenomenal way, uh, just because of, just because they know how to like, folks, we've had fun here, but at the end of the day, it's all about love, you know, just kind of wrapping it up like that. I feel like they're, they're they're really good at doing that when they want to. What out of five would you uh, give this album? Very strong four, very strong four. I walked away with a very strong four myself. Hell yeah. And we did it. We went off. All right. They said the thing. We did the thing. We said the thing. And now we're going to leave. But before we do, I wanted to thank everyone for listening and spending your time with us. It means a great deal. Is there anything you want to uh, plug and promote before we get out of here? Yes. Yes. So uh, I actually do have a new thing to promote. I was like being weird and cagey about it the last time. But uh, Fully Involved is the name of the music project. Um, There is a new album finally out that I've written most of the songs for three years ago, but it's finally coming out next month. This new album, Cold Blood. Uh, I basically wrote an album about my neurodivergence before I knew I had it. That's the elevator pitch that I like to give for it. But this first song that's out right now, uh, Public Occurrences, um, it's not quite reflective of that. It's just a surf punk rager about trying to find someone at the function uh, that's on your wavelength. Uh, But as you've heard from me talking about this song, Wait, No, Don't Go, which is the third track on it, uh, which you'll hear when the album comes out, um, the song that when you leave is an accidental ripoff of uh, the males will be hearing from my lawyers. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so it's a 10 track half hour eclectic little rock record. Um, I think you'll have a fun time with it. Uh, fully involved Mark on all the places. I make classic rock memes on TikTok. Uh, and if you like this vibe for whatever reason, then 
Yeah, check check out check out a thing in there. I have a full lyric video for the Public Occurrences song that's just me in a car wash letting the lighting wash over me. Oh yeah. How that's not a filter. I don't know. Aesthetic car wash lighting, very underrated. The world is your image team, people. Okay? Well, folks, that about does it for this week's episode of Going Off. Thank you so, so much for spending your time with us and hope you check us out again next time. But until then, uh, for Going Off, I'm Muse. I'm Mark. Uh, That's it. (laughs) And this town ain't big enough for the both of us.